Well, good morning once again, Anchored. Um, it's been a full week. I do want you to know on Sunday, I did not watch myself. And, and I just want to give you a few of those reasons. When I was in seminary, um, we had to watch ourselves after we preached a 15-minute message, a 30-minute message. And uh, I started labeling those Rocky, okay, uh, because <laughs> I wonder what in the world was I doing. It was kind of Rocky. And, and the, the last one, when I labeled that message, because we had to get the video and then take it home and take a look at it, I called it Rocky Horror Show. And I don't even know what Rocky Horror Show is, but I know there was a movie Rocky Horror Show. Folks, when you first start out, it, um, you hope to improve. And, and, uh, and I'm afraid I would look at myself and wonder what's happened in these last uh, 31 years. Anyway... Folks, um, Sunday was such a blessing for me to listen to Pastor MacArthur. It's just the man is blessed. Um, but even as I thought through his message and was praying through his message, and and the thing that I took away from it, and and he said it again, we worship through providence, and and to think about what God is doing in our lives, as Bill and Donna Shannon. Um, we're thinking about it. We are praying more than, as I think I mentioned last week, than ever before. Uh, we're dependent on the Lord more than ever before because we can't do anything. And, and frankly, the doctors can't do anything. I don't care how smart they are and what kind of education they have. Ultimately, it's going to be uh, the Lord um, that will um, make all of this happen. Yes, she did have her infusion, which is wonderful. Got to wait three weeks so they can test the blood again to see if it did any good. Um, but even in all of that, um, who gave the doctor the brains to come up with the infusion? All of those kinds of things. It, uh, you know, I, I even think of uh, Deuteronomy. And I'm trying to think of the passage what it says that God even gives us the strength to make money. Whatever it is, he gives you the strength. He allows you to think through those problems. And so we're very dependent upon him, not upon the system, not upon uh, whatever it is. Uh, I love James Coates. He's a great example for us that uh, he is still in jail, to my knowledge, anyway, uh, and that he's fighting the fight uh, for freedom for the gospel because that's what it's about, folks. When I first got saved, the man who took me under his wing and began to teach me and, and to show me how to love my wife and how to raise children and and to be involved in the church said, it's about the gospel. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about us. And so that's some of the things that we've been learning as we go through this. And Donna and I embrace it. I remember Pastor MacArthur saying that once, embrace your problems. And that's what we need to do is embrace them. So with that in mind, I do want to continue. I'm, I'm loving this opportunity. Uh, I'm loving that Grace Church has these opportunities to do this. Uh, I don't want you to know I was invited to go preach somewhere else and told them uh, they could take that message and send it to them, but of course they don't want that. Anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these folks in Anchored. Lord God, we are people on a pilgrimage, pilgrimage to get to know you better each and every day. It's not about us. This is not finished. Uh, the kingdom of God is made up of those who are obedient to things in your word. And so, Lord, we pray for that, not that we make our salvation or cause our salvation or get saved because we're good. 
because we couldn't be good unless your Holy Spirit even gave us the opportunity. Lord God, I pray for today, I pray as we bring this message that you would open up hearts for them to see the uh, importance of this particular issue in their life. Uh, this whole sermon is just packed full of things. I, I was hoping to be able to take two and three verses at a time, but it's impossible. Your word is so rich, so abundant with truth that we have to expose it as best we can uh, to make sure that God's people understand it and that, uh, Lord, they would be blessed and you would be glorified. We pray this in your name. Amen. So here we are, week two. We got one more week, and, and I'm looking forward to that one because I'm already studying for that one and already putting the message together for that one, and, and my heart is blessed because of that. And so this is the, the richness, and, and uh, I spoke with uh, Carl, and I said, Carl, I, I just got to do this. I'm sorry that it's going to be recorded, but uh, it's in there. I got to get it out because I got to learn more. I want to learn more. I want to learn the richness of God's Word. I, I want to take it in and, and know it abundantly. So I'm going to read the first five verses just to up to where we are, just so it brings anybody who's not been around into the particular place we are. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, and, and please don't tell Pastor MacArthur, this is the best sermon ever preached um, because it came from the Lord himself. But I, I think he'd agree with me. And it says there, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. That's a particular passage we're going to look at today. And so I, I want you to know, again, I want to uh, assert that I have been blessed to study God's Word uh, since I went to seminary. Even before I went to seminary, I was, was studying because all I wanted to do was to get to know God and His Word. Especially these particular days, they are so precious. Yes, I am spending a lot more time at home, but my wife will tell you I am in my office because I just want to get to know God's Word. I want to know the truth. I have had opportunities to teach on Roman Catholicism, which really went well. Uh, we had quite a few people. Um, the counseling class is still going, and we're going to start up on the discipleship counseling level three very shortly. The truth of God's Word comes alive and practical in every aspect of life when you look at it deeply. Something also needs to be pointed out is the fact that the, <clears throat> the first three Beatitudes that we've looked at here— in a sense, okay, and again, this is in a sense, okay, or beatitudes of humility. It's really you recognizing who you are. It's really you recognizing how bereft you are of any goodness, okay? It, it's, it, it's being poor in spirit, and, and that means the spiritual bankruptcy that you, that you have. You, you come to know Jesus Christ, you realize you're empty, and I remember that at my salvation. We don't need to go through that. But that is something that anyone who's come to Christ, obviously at a, at a grown age, that you have a memory of, that you realize you were a sinner. You, you needed Jesus Christ to take care of that sin. And, and some priests can't do it, and, and, and some um, other motions can't do it. It has to be that you recognize you're bankrupt. There's nothing there. The next is that, that you mourn. 
And I, I, I put that whole thing there about good, good morning. Um, it is a good morning. It's a great morning. It's a fabulous morning. It, it doesn't matter what happened. It's a morning that God gave you. And, and now we'll talk about the real morning. You're mourning over your sin because you hate it. But it's not just your sin. There's sin in the world. I mean, the things that we have going on in our world right now, it's a surprise that God has not returned. And I know it's going to be at the perfect time, but it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And I know people from back in the 1950s or whatever, 60s, would say, oh, look at how bad it's getting. Well, it's getting worse than then, much, much worse, much, much worse. We're not evolving, we're devolving as a society. And uh, that continues to happen. The follower of Jesus Christ in the, is in this world. Uh, they have to put up with various things in this world. This is a world of aggression. This is a world of bullying. This is a world of cancellation now. Um, but you know what, folks? Even though we have all of those issues, even though we may be attacked, we still need to be humble. We just need to be like, Paul, when he's put in the jail in Philippi with Silas, and, and he's been beaten, and he's still a Roman citizen, and he could call upon that Roman citizenship. But he's singing praises to his God. I, I can't imagine what that would be like, but that's what he's doing. He's singing praises to his God. Jesus, when he was on this earth, never insisted on his rights as the Son of God. He never said, look, I'm the Son of God. You need to do that. He never did that. Some leaders do that today. Look who I am. I'm this person. You need to do this. No, that's not what he did. Jesus never insisted on his privileges being the savior of the world. You know, I'm going to save the, the, the world from sin, so why don't you... Uh... No, he didn't uh, do that. He didn't call upon people taking uh, advantage of them, that kind of thing. And as I was putting this message together, I looked for stories. I thought, man, it'd be good to have stories about gentle people. I, I thought it would be encouraging to you. I got to tell you, there are not many stories about gentle people. You may find people being gentle towards an animal or something like that, but not gentle people in, 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 in a sense, not the meekness that I was looking for of how that is defined. The meekness of character is not um, um, elevated in the eyes of man. It's generally not looked at as being good. Meekness can be confused, though, can it? Sure. Meekness can be confused with weakness or cowardice. The human genome does not produce this kind of being. Life may produce weak people. Now, notice what I just said. Life may produce weak people. But nature, the nature of man, is to come out screaming. Just be in a hospital that has children being born. They're screaming right away. Give me, give me, give me. What are they screaming for? Mom, give me my milk. I want it right now. They don't say that, but that's what they're doing. They're screaming. Our world is not made up of people that enter this world in, in weakness. They are demanding, demanding. Give me, give me, give me salesman that I used to be very, very good friends with. He had the Boston area, I had the New York area, and, and uh, we'd, we'd call one another, and, and it was, uh, this is how we start a conversation. Give me, give me, give me. That's all we cared about. Give me more. I, that's all I want. Give me more. Weakness. Weakness is not normal. It may 
work out that way for some people because of the situations in their life that they turn out to be weak and quiet and all of that. But that's not a general human characteristic, this gentle kind of soul. I can remember when I did start out as a salesman in New York City. Now, you know, some of you think that there are rude New Yorkers. I got to tell you, you don't know rude New Yorkers, okay? I do. (laughs) I'm going out my first time for sales, and my boss wants to go with me. He wants to help me. A nice Jewish fellow. I I love the guy. And, I mean, he gave me the opportunity. And uh, we're supposed to go out and see these customers, and and he is give me a lesson in how to be a pushy New Yorker. You got to get past the receptions. You got to push your way through him. And then you need to demand that the designer, the interior designer or the decorator who's ever putting this project together must use your fabric. You must use your product. That's not me. Okay. Generally in that situation, I can be pushy in other situations, but Here you are, okay, as a salesman, you're going to tell these well-educated and talented designers, you must use this product. When I don't even know, okay, what kind of project they are doing or anything else like that. But that's the way he introduced me, okay, into the sales uh, world. By the way, that was the last time he uh, um, encouraged me or went with me on a sales call. I can remember as an unbeliever that... That is not the way to make friends. That's not the way to get people to buy your product. It it is not that kind of uh, insistence that you need to listen to me that I've got the answer. Folks, we need to put it out there. That's about it. Sometimes, okay, and obviously with my boss, the idea of being gentle or meek was really, really carried to to the nth degree. He was, he would call it spinelessness. And subservience. As a matter of fact, when a salesman didn't do what he was saying, he got rid of him. Uh, didn't take him too long to figure it out. Not that I was that kind of person. As long as you produce, he doesn't care. The gentle person should attract the trust of others. But in some circumstances, this kind of person is taken advantage of. They're often seen as being absurd. Why would you want to be gentle? You shouldn't be gentle. To a person of a gentle spirit, it is not the meek for the sake of self. To be a person of a gentle spirit is not to be meek for the sake of self. Gentleness, okay. Now we're going to the spiritual gentleness. Gentleness is the fruit of the spirit. You cannot produce it. The Holy Spirit has to produce it. That is a God-produced element within you that happens because of his Holy Spirit being in you. It is something that the Holy Spirit produces in the heart and the life. Now, can we protect ourselves sometimes from reacting or overreacting to certain things? Sure. So how in the world do we get there? How in the world do we get there? How in the world that that in this plagued and um, society that it's me first I deserve my rights. I want it my way. Does a gentle person even exist, live, enjoy life? First, we cannot view ourselves as better than others. Okay, that's the first thing we need to understand. We are no better than anyone else. Friends, in the eyes of God, you are not better than others. So why invent a non-reality? 
I'm no better than anyone else. You know the one thing, well, among many, that I noticed when I left the Roman Catholic Church, and I was not really an attender every week, but I noticed that there's no altar separating you from the priest, and and the priest uh, and the pastor doesn't have garments on, unless you call these garments, on uh, that separates him from those who are sitting in the pew. So pastor and pew sitter are basically equal and that's the truth. The pastor can sin just as well as the pew sitter. And we need to be gentle towards that pew sitter, just as Jesus is gentle towards us. And so why do I want to have this non-reality of, of being better than somebody else? And when a person comes into for counseling, I know I could do everything that this person has done. I could. I don't want to. I don't contemplate it. But I could. And I need to see that I'm no better than they are. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. But we are all one in Christ. We're all one in Christ Jesus. He does that for us. He makes us all equal. He puts the at the cross, the ground is level, Golgotha. And matter of fact, I've been there, and you know, they've got a cross up there, of course, and, and they, they say this, the ground is level. There's no one has a, has a foot up, so to speak. If I am dealing with an unbeliever, can I tell them off or treat them unkindly? Really, you would want to do something like that? I, I, I see that as being absurd. You should still be gentle with them, even if they are treating you roughly. Do you think this is good for the, for the name of Christ? Oh, that's, he's a Christian. Look at him. He looks like a Christian. I don't think so. That unbeliever is the reason that Jesus Christ left you here on this earth. That unbeliever needs to hear the gospel, needs to see something different from you so that they are attracted to the gospel and not anger or retribution or anything like that. They are not your enemy, folks. Their arrogance is not your enemy. Sin is your enemy. And sin makes us not gentle. Sin makes us, I want it my way. And not only do I want it my way, but I want it now. That makes us demanding. I should not be asserting my superiority over others because they will not like me. No, no. You should assert your superiority over this because you are not superior. That's why you should not assert your superiority over them because you are not superior. You're equal. You're equal. Beloved meekness or gentleness of spirit is total dependence on God. That's why the first three Beatitudes are about humility. We are totally, absolutely dependent on God. As I went through the scriptures, remember, I was trying to come up with who could I give as a story. And I'm going through um, numbers, and here's Moses. Moses was a man of gentleness. Now, whoa, wait a minute. He was the leader of all of these people through, through the desert for 40 years and coming out of Egypt and all of these things. Yeah. Matter of fact, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says this. You don't need to turn there, but Numbers 12, verse 3 says this. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. More than any man that was on the face of the earth. 
more than any of the Jews that were traveling with him, more than Pharaoh, more than any of those other people. Moses was a leader, leader of thousands upon thousands. And, and that whole desert journey he went through, he was what? He's considered to be humble more than others on the earth. You would think he would have to be ordering people around, go do this, go do that, pushing people to do these things, inciting them in some way to listen to him. Folks, true meekness is dependence on God. True meekness is dependence on God. True meekness is not the assertion of one's rights. True meekness is not the assertion of one's position. True meekness is not weakness. True meekness is not demanding. I don't know. There are situations where there's an in, uh, injustice. Well, yeah, you can mention the injustice. You can speak about the injustice. Right now we're doing the same thing with, with regards to uh, some of the um, medical coverage. And, and we're, we're just putting it out there. Hey, at the end, it's over. When I was leaving my fabric business and sales, I had quite a few orders that were in on the books and they should have been mine. I wrote to the company and I said, well, these are mine and I should be getting the um, uh, credit for these, which, you know, amounted to a pretty good number. And, and you know what, folks? Uh, went back and forth and, and talked to them and they said, no, that's, that's not going to be yours. And I said, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm in a better place I'm in a better place serving the Lord Jesus Christ full time. True meekness is knowing that God is in charge and he is ultimately in charge and he will bring forth his outcome for our good. Whatever that may be, it's going to be his outcome for our good. And that's why I love when Pastor MacArthur even said, um, worship is thinking about God's providence. And you go back to when you got saved. You go back to even maybe before you got saved and the people that he put in your life to get you in a certain place. All of those kinds of things that, that happen even today that, that seem so, so little. My walking across the campus to come down here to the basement, I see somebody that I haven't talked to in a while and I got to have that conversation with them because, you know what? It was an encouragement to me and an encouragement to him as well. And folks, that's what we do. That's what we do. This person, okay, all right, this person of meekness is not demanding, as I said. True meekness is knowing that God is in charge. This is the person who suffers indignities without complaint. Yeah, suffers indignities without, how dare they do that to me? I've heard that. This is a person who does not assert self. Now, this gets very practical, folks. This happens in your home. How how dare my child speak to me that way? How dare my spouse speak to me that way? Uh, well, how about that person next door and he does this and that? And Folks, it gets very practical. Please understand, this meekness that I'm speaking of here does not in any way suggest spinelessness or timidity. It, it does not mean that I'm going to have peace at any cost. I, I'm just... I'm just not going to say anything. No, it has nothing to do with that. It is how you say those things as well. Jesus was not that way. Jesus was not that way. The Savior led by his example. Um, 
we look at uh, the scriptures and in Mark 10:45 it says Christ did not come to serve but to be uh, well, did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many that's what he does he's serving always taking care of the other person that's what he wants to do beloved when it comes to the gospel Jesus was a force to be reckoned with he was a force to be reckoned with. And I just want to give you a few examples. I found some stories about a gentle person. How about that? And this gentle person is Jesus. He's gentle and lowly. This Savior here had strength, though. He had resolve when it came to the gospel. And he would speak even to those who were opposing him in, in a righteous way and, and in a lovely way. I, I'm not going to go through all of Matthew chapter 12. Verses 9 through 45, he's in a debate with the Pharisees back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Did you not know? All of those kinds of things. Matthew 16, I, I do want to show you that. Matthew 16, he's got his own friend, his own follower. In Matthew 16, verse 21, he, he's speaking to him and, and uh, he says these things there and then he has to correct someone. And he corrects him very strongly. So he is still a man of meekness, but at the same time, his meekness shows strength. From this time, or that time, I should say, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. We know the story. We know exactly what's going to happen here, what he's talking about. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. I, I can't imagine Peter's voice there, and I think I was very gentle in my presentation of his voice, because I think he would have been very in Jesus' face kind of guy. Okay, it, it, it shows up in his character. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Are you serious? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind on God's interests, not man's. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You see the difference here? You have to set your mind on the interests of God not on your own personal care and comfort and concern. It's about him. It's not about you. And Jesus shows that, and so he rebukes Peter pretty strongly there. There's another place that I, I want to show you, John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And um, Jesus uh, goes in the temple. Um, he, he saw things there that obviously were corrupt and wrong. And uh, he went after those people because this place, the temple, was the place of worship for his father, his heavenly father. And, and they were doing things, money changing, selling things that were not as worth as much as they were selling them for. And wouldn't you, you couldn't use your own. Uh, it, it, just, it was just corrupt there <clears throat> at the temple. And in John chapter 2, verse 14 and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And so here they are, they're selling these um, animals for sacrifice and such. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the money 
uh, of the money changers and overturned their tables. I could imagine this. I could picture this. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. That's not a place of business. That's a place of worship. That's where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to be lifted on high. And they're in there selling doves, pigeons, pigeons. So we have a, a couple of examples there, but we have others. Jesus, when he went to the cross, here he is at the cross. And, and in Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them. He doesn't say, Father, peel their skin off. He doesn't say, Father, uh, do away with them. Send a, a meteor to wipe them out. No, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They have no idea what they're doing in killing the Son of God the Messiah. They're clueless. One of my favorite, and we're going to look at it again later, but I I do want to bring it up here. 1 Peter 2.23. And while being reviled, this is speaking of Jesus when he's on the cross. 1 Peter 2.23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. You don't need to stand up for your rights. Jesus did that already. Jesus did that already. Jesus' indignation came at the offense against the gospel and against God, against God's place of worship. That's where his indignation comes from. Not something that happened to him. Not something that was personal to him. The true picture of the meek and the gentle Christ is one of a man in immense self-control. I think that's a beautiful picture. No matter what the various problems of life, that person is still under immense self-control. That is a lesson to learn. That is a lesson to hold on to. That's what we should be doing. I really like what one of the commentators said, and I'm going to read this quote. He said this, successful and forceful people must learn how to use their strength for others, not themselves. Wow. Although you may be the president of a company, to use that strength for yourself and take all the accolades for yourself and not give them to other people, you're not going to have people who are going to want to work for you or follow you or do a good job anymore. Successful and forceful people must learn how to use their strength for others, not themselves. This is the leader who encourages his people and what they do and and what they don't do. He encourages them and, and then he may come alongside them and show them how that they could do it and they could do it better and, and, and letting them feel as though they're part of the solution. This is the leader who engenders followers. That's what Jesus did. He engendered followers after him. He used his, his strength for his meekness. Notice in our passage what Jesus has to say about this meekness and gentleness. It, it says there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, it says, For they shall inherit the kingdom 
of God or, or should inherit the earth. I'm sorry, not the kingdom of God, but the earth. I want to, if you don't mind, take you back to a psalm from which I believe some others in, in, in writings believe that this particular phrase is taken from in Matthew chapter 5. And it's Psalm 37. I'm going to be there for just a little bit, but if you want to, uh, you can turn there. Um, psalm 37. Uh, some of my favorite verses are in Psalm 37. But in Psalm 37, it gives us a hint of the process. Most of you like processes. How do I get there? process of becoming gentle and and the rewards of that gentleness as well here's the process verse 1 psalm 37 do not fret (laughs) do not fret because of evildoers even though there are evildoers around you you don't have to fret about it be not envious towards wrongdoers don't be envious because they got a nice house and they're doing this and they're doing that Don't, don't don't be envious of those folks Verse 2, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green grass. They're here today, gone tomorrow. They're just there for a little bit, and then they're done. Matter of fact, my, my, my fret about that whole thing would be they're going to hell. They need to hear the, the gospel. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. We are to be trusting in him all the time for every situation that we have. I'm I'm working with a fellow who's doing counseling for somebody. I think it's in Tennessee and and their son is not listening to them. And I I said, well, is the son a Christian? Well, they think he is. Well, the idea is to make sure that the son trusts in Jesus Christ, truly trusts in Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Faithfulness, that you are dependable. 51 years of ministry, 52, whatever. It's faithfulness that you're, you're looking at. Dwell in the land. Another process of gentleness. Delight yourselves in the Lord. We are to be delighting in him. And he will give you the desires of your heart. As you continue to worship him and honor him, he's going to give you that gentleness. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. Verse 5. You're committing your way. You're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Then act like a follower of Jesus Christ. Not like the rest of this world. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Just because somebody else is getting what they want and they're prospering from it, it doesn't matter. Folks, this life is what, 70 years of 80 of strength? And if a lot of strength, maybe more. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing, meaning you get angry at this person and you're no longer gentle. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Didn't you? We just said that. 
Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth, inherit the land. It's the same thing. And will delight, okay, themselves in abundant prosperity. And will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Okay, verse 10, I forgot that. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and there it will not be. But the humble will inherit the land. Folks, these three um, beatitudes have shown us that Jesus Christ wants us to be humble. He wants us to to think of things in these terms, not not to asserting our way. I, I remember when they came out with this assertive training. Oh my goodness. That is so from the pit of hell. Can't believe it. Even when the wicked prosper, when the wicked uh, get elected, let's say, the Lord is telling us, the meek, we will receive righteous judgment. We will receive Jesus Christ and God and we'll be with him. These wicked people don't possess the land. They're not going to have the land. When we come back, we're going to have the land. Because ultimately, this land is God's. It's not theirs. It's God's. Therefore, I, uh, we had a message from uh, Paul Twist uh, not too long ago, if I remember correctly. I don't know how many weeks ago it was, but he, he says you need to always be looking to the future. The future as to what God has for you. Not, not just now. You need to trust in the Almighty's ultimate authority that He has your best at heart. I think of Romans 8.28, God causes all things to be good to those who love him. It's hard to say that when somebody's in the midst of a tragedy. Somebody's in the midst of sickness. Somebody's missed a pain. Because he's going to take you and conform you to the image of his son. Verse 29. That's what he's doing. That's what he's about. Rest in him. Be confident in him. So the patches says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. What do they inherit? They inherit the promise God made to Israel and his covenant with them. They will be in the land. We will be on the earth. For us, we inherit the earth. That is the place of our future. As a place of our future. And now, obviously, it's going to be reconfigured and all of that, but we don't need to go through that. This is not revelation anyway. The promise made to us in the messianic kingdom where those who are humble and dependent on God reign and serve the Lord. I love that. The closer I get to that, the more I love it, the more I think about it, I, I, I'm going to be used by God for something else. That's all we have to think about. Another important fact to make is that this meekness is a gift from God. Did you hear that? It's a gift from God. You don't get it very easily, okay? It's a gift that He gives you. He gives it in the fruit of the Spirit. But you have to be a Christian first. You have to be a Christian first. That's when the, when the Spirit comes. He gives you this. He, he gives you the, all of the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, he gives you those things. 
Friend, you are enabled to be meek in heart. And that's even for the heart that is naturally angry and insistent and full of wrath. All of those kinds of things. He gives it even to that kind of person when they come to Christ. This meekness given by God calms the troubled heart from life's anxieties. We, we, we don't fret about the things of life any longer because we know that God has a plan. His plan is perfect and it's going to come to fruition. You know, even talking to someone who is, is very sick and was about to die, and, and they were talking with me, and I said, well, God's appointed that day. If it's this afternoon when we are here praying together or we come back in a year or two, leave it up to him. Don't be fretting about it. You don't have to fret about it or what you're going to miss or what you're not going to have or all of those kinds of things. So the question comes, why should I be meek? Why should I even try? Why should I be gentle? Folks, it's for the sake of the gospel, period. It's for the sake of the gospel. Because if you are, as I've said in the past, a a gospel billboard, and people are looking at you and seeing what kind of message you give out, what's the message that you're giving out? I want my way? Or, no, it's God's way and whatever He has planned for me. When um, I do counseling, I think of this particular verse quite often. And the reason I do is because I I want to make sure that I understand why am I even doing this? Why am I even talking to somebody who may not even understand the gospel? First John one, uh, I'm sorry, First Timothy one five, and he and it says this, and and I I want you to understand this. This because this is important, and it says there in First Timothy one five. But the goal of our instruction is love. God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, it's, it's love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. We want to make sure that we're loving the other person. We're showing that in our ministry of the word of God to them and loving them. And sometimes when I say things, it's hard. I know it is. Like the woman who came to my office and she had lost her baby. And, and she wanted to know why. I said, I don't know. She says, you're the first person to say that. Everybody else has a reason. I said, I I don't know. I don't know what God's doing. I do know this. I know whatever he's doing, it's perfect. And it's good. And he has your good at heart. Okay? When I say lost her baby, the baby was in the hospital healthy for two or three days, and boom, gone. Gone. I don't know why God did that, but I know this, it was good. God causes all things to be good. That's hard to say to a mom who's lost her first child like that. But that's what the gospel says. And you have to point that out to them. Folks, we counsel because we want to help God's people. That's why we do that. We want to help God's people. Sometimes they find themselves in some terribly bad places, making some awful decisions. You know, recently we've had a lot of people coming from uh, other churches. What do they? What does John call them? The grace refugees. And it's lovely to sit down with these people. I got to tell you, it's encouraging to me. Okay, 
they come from all different kinds of places and churches and things like that. And, and, and they got all kinds of stories. But they also have a lot of terrible Bible knowledge that they've been filled with by those, some of those churches. Folks, this is where we get our help. From the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof for correction, for training in righteousness. That's where we have to go, is to the Word of God. That's going to help us. That's going to tell us how we can be meek. That's going to tell us how we can be um, a gospel billboard, so to speak. They need instruction, these people, when they come in. People... Paul is, is, is speaking when he, in, in this 2 Timothy passage. When he's speaking in 2 Timothy, let's go there anyway. 2 Timothy, instead of 3.16, let's go to 2.24. 2 Timothy 2.24. And, and Paul says this, and, and, and he's an elder, he, he's a pastor, he's, he's a counselor, okay? He's all of those things, and he says this to Timothy, you know, his son in the faith. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25 says, The Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome. We are his slave. So we can't be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. I, I, how do we do that? There are some people that are hurting terribly. But be kind to all, able to teach, obviously, patient when wronged, and that's going to happen. And folks, I, it's happened. I know it's happened. With gentleness, okay? That is meekness. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. That's what God does. He tells us this is how we're supposed to handle people. But ladies and gentlemen, that's just not for pastors and elders, deacons, ushers, leadership. That's for you. That's for all of us that we're supposed to be handling people like that. I think our homes would be a place of peace and calm. Paul again in Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught, and that's like a fish hook that can catch a fish, you know, that enticing whatever it is. If they're caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, that's you who are mature, okay, it says to restore. Restore them in gentleness. Restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Oh, folks, it's all over the scriptures of how we are to approach this particular subject. We speak the gospel to those when we need to confront them, yes. We confront them because of their sin, and I've done church discipline on many, many, many different folks, and you try to give them the truth. I'm not yelling and screaming at them and beating them over the head with a Bible or a bat or anything else. I'm trying to give them the truth. This is what God says. What you're doing is going to do this. I remember sitting with one man, and I said, well, if you're a Christian, God's going to punish you after this, okay? If you're not a Christian, he's just going to let you go to hell. Which one do you want? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's what's going to happen. If you're a Christian, you're going to be punished along the way. If you're not a Christian, you're going to go to hell. That's scary to be thinking in those terms, but I don't mind saying that to some people. I pray that they would receive the gospel. I pray that they would know 
the God of that gospel. James says this in James 1.21, in humility, or maybe weakness, we could say that, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. That's why we give the gospel. We use convincing words, but we also use, con- we also use gentle words to those who need the Savior. Um, I think of Colossians 4, 6, that your speech should always be with grace. As seasoned with salt, making it taste better, okay? That's what we want to do, is we want them to hear the word and, and be able to accept the word. But pastor, I know I'm going to hear this. You have said nothing, nothing about the guy or the gal who ripped me apart, <clears throat> called me all kinds of names at work, and tore me like I was a piece of garbage. Pastor, you haven't dealt with that. What am I supposed to do there? No, no, I didn't. Let's look at the example of Jesus. And that example from Jesus is found right there. We've already used 1 Peter 2.23. This is an extraordinary example of a gentle and meek spirit. And while being reviled, called all kinds of names, made fun of, spat upon, all kinds of things. He did not revile in return. He he didn't call them names and spit on them. I mean, he could have. He could have done all kinds of things. He did not revile in return. While suffering and, and being whipped and beaten and stabbed, he did not do anything. He says, while suffering, he uttered no threats. Could you imagine? He he could be on the cross and he could say, you know what? God's going to get you. No, he didn't do any of that. He uttered no threats, but kept, and this is what you have to do, just like I have to do, okay? I'm going to put we have to do, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. We have to be in the midst of doing that, of, ju- of, of letting him do what he needs to do. That's God. Letting God do what he needs to do. <clears throat> uh, and so, folks, I, I just want to encourage you with this meekness. That's where we need to be. Isaiah 26.3 says, The steadfast of mind <clears throat> you will keep in perfect peace. Why? Because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26, 3, you look at 4, you put your, your, he's the rock that we depend upon. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't, and I'm, I'm going to try to do this as quickly as possible, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. Matthew eleven twenty five through 30 is the is a passage that the book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, that the ladies have been going through all semester. I had no idea that we would be um, doing this. But I, I just want to read that passage, Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. And it says, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. In other words, those in the uppity-up class, okay? And have revealed them to infants, okay? The elect. Let's call it the elect. Yes, Father. For this way was well-pleasing 
in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. In other words, the Son makes those decisions, not us. And in verse 28, now, you take what I just said, and you turn this to verse 28, and it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's like an open invitation. Come to me. Come to my house this afternoon. You know, we're going to have a, a lemonade and a donuts or something. I, you know, he come to me. No, he's saying, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Rest from your sin. Rest from your bad temper. Rest from your anger. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is making this invitation to come to him. This is not the verse that was used for me when I came to Christ. But I hear this, take my yoke upon you. I'm from New York City. Aren't too many oxens being brought down Fifth Avenue. Um, I had my office on Madison Avenue for a while, and, and there weren't any goats being taken down there in a, in, a, in a yoke either. I don't think they used them, maybe horses. But nevertheless, I'm not familiar with those kinds of things. Streets, subways, you know, that kind of stuff here. I'm okay. But it says here, you are to harness yourself with Jesus Christ. You are to harness yourself with Jesus Christ. And notice what happens. Jesus, who knows everything, paces himself to your speed because he cares about you and your heart. He cares about his children. That's gentleness when the Savior does that. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. When you become a God-blessed believer, life changes dramatically. You now have placed yourself in fellowship with the Creator God. Isn't that beautiful? You can depend upon Him for everything. You can depend upon Him for every situation. Our God condescended for your soul. Why? Why? He did it because He loved you. He did that. And, you know, I think about it. It's not so much for us, but for him, because he receives glory. He receives glory for saving Bill Shannon. He receives glory for saving you. Folks, at this point, I just want to make one appeal. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're not sure whether you know Jesus Christ, I know I'm not there today, and I, I believe me, that bothers me to no end. That bothers me to no end. Give your sin to Jesus Christ. Say, take this from me. I know that you came as a sin bearer. So please take this from me because I am a sinner. Jesus says to take his yoke. He says to learn from him. And that doesn't mean that you sit back now and you kick back and you say, oh, I'm a Christian. I don't have anything to do. No, this is when you get started. You start to learn about him. In this most extraordinary portion of Scripture, Jesus explains, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is gentle. He'll listen. As you bear your heart, and, and 
folks, I, I know troubles. I've heard them. I've had some. I know disappointments. I know dreams that never come true and, and things like that. I, I know pain. I, I've been in my office and, and I, I cry sometimes because of, of the things that are being told me about how people are being treated or were treated. Jesus is gentle even when you confess your really awful, awful sin to him. He doesn't take you and, and, and beat you and, and send you away. He, he says, come to me. Come. He's gentle because he understands. Jesus lived on this earth. He, he knew the various problems that were here on this earth. Jesus will not be harsh. He'll not be punitive. He'll not be severe. I believe a very good way to put this is what one author said in his book, and I'd like to read that to you. Just a small quote. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. You can go to him at any time. You can speak to him at any time. Beloved, the best and the worst thing is that God completely knows your heart. (laughs) You can't get away from it. Well, I contemplated this really evil thing. Yeah, he knows it. So... Confess it. If you are sincerely in love with him, he knows it. If you are struggling in your worship of him, he knows it. And I I said it earlier, but I want to just remember, want you to remember this. Rehearse providence. Pastor John said that night as I thought about it and contemplated it. Rehearse providence of what God has done for you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. That's a genuine call to all. But at the same time, he knows the genuineness of that coming to him. He knows the sincerity of that heart. God knows and God perfectly judges. Gentle and humble. Uh, The ladies have had a great time in their study. And um, I've just heard so many, many good things from what's going on. When you come to Jesus Christ, though, for your, for your salvation or your sanctification, let's put it that way, too, because it's both. You're, you're coming to Christ because you want to grow. Pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Live for him. When you go to Jesus Christ, you call him master and Lord. You are now to do what he tells you. And I look at Matthew 10, 30 in that same passage. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. Powerful, wonderful call to salvation and sanctification. You harness yourself to his word and his word begins to produce things in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit begins to grow. And I don't mean grow in the sense, but he has less grieving going on because now you're living a life of obedience. That is exactly what God wants. He wants all of you. Doesn't want part of you. Doesn't want you just on Sunday morning. Doesn't want you on occasion at a Bible study. He he doesn't want you when the weather is good or he doesn't want you when you feel like it. He wants you all the time. He wants you there to begin that relationship of being yoked with him. 
You see, our Savior endured humanity. Our Savior endured rejection. Our Savior endured pain and sorrow. Our Savior endured failure of his own followers. He did that for us. The enduring of Jesus Christ during the lifetime that he lived for us shows us, he shows us his gentleness, his humility that he endured as he shed his blood on the cross. Let me finish with this one last passage and and I know that you're going to be closing up your Bibles, but uh, Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, our trust in him. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows how weak we are but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Not exactly the same thing. Driving too fast on the freeway does not was not one of his temptations. Yet without sin. One who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Folks, it is by gentleness, meekness, that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. It is by that relationship of heart that happens as you humble yourself before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as I've said, this whole situation has been one of humbling for me, for Donna, for our family, and dependence upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May he continue to produce meekness in all of us, not something that is without strength, but something that has super, super strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. And as these folks uh, are heading in to listen to to Pastor MacArthur, I pray, Lord, that they would contemplate these things and see how this is a building relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're building through the Beatitudes a heart that is in harmony and unity with the Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen.